Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Command Space. I am Mike Hurley, your host, and I am joined today by Mr. Don McAllister of Screencast Online. Hi, Don. Hello, Mike. Hi, thanks for the invite on your new show. Mind you, it's not so new now, is it? It's been going for a while. Yeah, a couple of months now. We've been running the new show, Command Space, since August, and um, we've got a bunch of listeners that probably don't even know the brochure ever existed. Uh, (laughs) It was there once, and we had you on the old show a few times. Thank you. And uh, I thought I I need to get a fellow Brit on the show. Oh, right. Okay. It's always important to me. And who better Who better than Mr. Don McAllister, the, the voice known around the internet? <laughs> well, it's always nice to do a UK-based podcast because we do it at, at a sensible hour then, you know, so that's, that's okay. Exactly. It's not 2 o'clock in the morning. No, 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 no. <laughs> I tend to fade around about midnight, you know, if I'm waiting up to do a podcast. I start to fade around about midnight to 1 o'clock. And that's a reasonable time By 2 time o'clock, I'm fade. hopeless, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So, Don, um, people know you, I guess, well, they should know you from Screencast Online. I guess that's your your main thing that you do on the internet. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of break down, like, give 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 us the, the elevator pitch of Screencast Online. Right, okay. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, basically, it's a, a, at its core, it's a video tutorial service. and I've been running it now for six or seven years, and I do a weekly, uh, and I do two shows each week. I do uh, a Mac tutorial and i do an ios tutorial and uh it's it's sort of uh, it started off originally as a hobby but now it's a, a full-blown business i've been sort of making a living from it for the past five or six years and um as well as doing the weekly shows i've sort of expanded the uh, the business and i'm now doing a magazine as well sort of on on the on the back of that i do apps as well so the sort of standalone apps and um, the, the main core though is the membership system that i run which is that you know for the weekly shows but there are the other uh, opportunities that I've taken up since then as well. You're a, a diversified business, as I'm sure that they say in San Francisco somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure that's a term somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's it's not, a, and it surprises people actually. It's not a team of people. It is still ninety uh, percent of it is still just little old me, um, sort of producing the content. I, I have helped with my wife. My wife's a partner in the business and she, uh, she helps out on the admin side. And of course I, I bring people in like development guys and uh, designers and stuff like that uh, as and when I need them. But uh, the core, the core business really is still, still pretty much me on my Todd. So you mentioned that um, you've been doing screencast online now for about six years. Mm-hmm. Um, at what point did you come to the decision that it could be a business for you? Was there something that changed or did you just decide it's now the time that I need to drive it that way. Well, when I started, it was very much just a hobby. It was um, at, at the time I was working in sort of corporate IT, and it was quite a, a stressful job, quite a high pressure job. And um, it was sort of I, I was quite interested in podcasts at the time. Podcasts had just started off, so I was listening to a few podcasts. And um, I, so like the, the genesis of it really was that I, I was a you know, I only really started using the Mac around about seven years ago when the, the first Mac Mini came out. And uh, doing the screencast was in direct response to um, evangelizing about the Mac. And I got a few people who bought the Macs on my recommendations. I really wanted to show them how to use it, but I couldn't sort of show them on a one-to-one basis. So I, I created these little mini screencasts that they could, uh, you know, work out how to use the Mac. And it, it sort of just evolved. I sort of, sort of thought, well, hang on a minute, I can actually repurpose this content that I've created for my family, you know, to, uh, to just stick on the internet and create a podcast around it. And uh, it sort of took off from there. Uh, it, was, it was weekly at the time, but the problem was it, 
with doing video and doing the screencast, they're, they're so time-consuming to create. Um, in the early days, it was taking up my, you know, I was working Monday to Friday, and then you know the whole weekend was was sort of around putting the the, the weekly tutorial together. So it sort of um, uh, became popular, and um, I actually got offered money before I sort of thought it, it could be a valid business. People wanted to donate to help me with my bandwidth costs and stuff hmm. like that. So that, that sort of seeded the idea, I suppose, when that happened. You know, uh, At the time, podcasters were talking about having tip jars and things. And um, I, as I said, it was just a hobby to me originally. I wasn't intending to make any money from it. But the, I suppose there was a point where I, I, it suddenly dawned on me that if I uh, added some extra value to what I was doing, perhaps I could start charging for it, uh, mainly sort of as a secondary income. And then, you know, eventually over time, as it got more and more popular and sort of more ideas crystallized, I thought, well, hang on, if I, if I do this and do that, perhaps I could actually make a go of it full time. So at the time when I decided to, to go full time, it, it was quite a leap of faith, really, because it was still a very early start of, of podcasting. And, and I didn't really have anyone to model the business on because no one else was doing it. It was just, you know, I just thought the time was right for me to have a go. And uh, with the support of the family, they said, yeah, go for it. So, you know, we, we did it. And uh, luckily, it's paid off. Video production today is still expensive and difficult. It must have been really tough about six years ago to, to put this content out on the web. Um, it was, it was, it's timing, really. Luckily, at that time, it wasn't too bad. I mean, one of the things that, that at first attracted me to the Mac, um, because I'd been doing video stuff, just normal video stuff on, on PCs, and it was horrendous you know you'd sort of uh, do some editing and then you'd set it up to, to render and you'd, you i couldn't touch the machine you know if i touched the machine it, it collapse in a heap or you know it'd just be maxed out and it would become unresponsive while it was encoding video etc and then i got this little mac mini and uh i just playing about with it and it was great you know you could edit video on it and you could encode and do other things at the same time and it, I, I, it was quite surprised really and you know n- now i thought of think think to myself you know why why didn't i do this 15 20 years ago um, but i couldn't have because, <laughs> you yeah. could have but we, yeah. you would have had to send video cassettes yeah. around <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's just the technology wasn't in place you know even 10 years ago but um i just got in at the right time i think you know 6 or 7 years ago when it was just starting to become more affordable and and you know small systems were more powerful and uh, and of course as well you know with choosing the mac as the platform to do these screencasts on um you know apple themselves over the past uh, six years have have just become so popular um in the uk hardly anyone had heard of apple when i started Uh, very very few people we didn't i don't think we had any apple stores at the time Uh, we had resellers but you know it was still very much a a niche market it was very much the design market etc yeah i think people knew about them but then they just went away yeah and and, and you saw them in like media companies and that was kind of it yeah, I mean, in the, in the domestic market, there were very, very few people that had uh, Apple Macs or even knew about Apple Macs. You know, they, they, people always knew they were there in the background, but they were seen very much as a US-based um, operation. And it's only really, you know, the past four or five years when they've, they've really uh, become much more popular in the general, general population. I find it so interesting like, because I came to the Mac about six years ago. My first Mac that I ever bought was the first Intel iMac. Okay, And I always find it interesting when I talk to people um, like yourselves who've been with the Mac for as long as I have. And you realize these people that just, you know, I think people just assume we've used them forever. Yeah. <laughs> but it shows that, that how people love the platform and, and start to evangelize the platform in that way. Because you just sort of, 
you know, me and you, we love it so much. We create things on the Mac and then we talk about, the, you know, talk about Apple. And it's just really interesting. I, I don't think this exists on, on Windows so much. No, I think. But but again, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when, you know, the first PCs came out. And I, in, in my corporate job, I used to use Windows exclusively, you know. And uh, I, in the early days, I was very enthusiastic about, you know, just computing in general, using computers. But that, that sort of was knocked out of me eventually by, you know, <laughs> uh, with all the, the, the pain of actually having to, to run Windows and, um, you know, like eight years, nine years ago when you know, just so, so many viruses and things. Uh, I really sort of became disillusioned with uh, with, with PCs and, and Windows in general. So when I saw the, um, uh, it was actually a Steve Jobs keynote I saw. It was the first one when he introduced the Mac Mini. That sort of energized me again. I thought, well, that, well, that looks interesting, you know. And um, the, the beauty of the Mac Mini was it was a it was a low risk option. Um, you know, you could buy the Mac Mini. I already had tons of monitors and keyboards. I could just buy this little small box, give it a try. It didn't work out, you know, no big deal. And, um, of course, once I did try it, you know, that, that was it. Then I, I became more enthusiastic and I, I, I sort of regained that uh, love of, of computing and, and uh, create, you know, creating stuff on, on uh, a computer. And then from that point on, you know, it's, it's the usual story. You know, I started off with a Mac Mini and now goodness knows how many thousands or tens of thousands of pounds I've actually given to Apple for them to give me yeah. more kit. So I started with an iPod Mini. That was my first Apple product. And it was the halo effect from that um, Mm. where I started to get into Apple stuff and then was just getting ready to buy my first Mac but was just going to wait for the WWDC presentation and then they announced the Intel iMacs. So I was very pleased. Otherwise, I would have just bought a PowerPC Mac because I I bought it like the next day. I was ready to to, to buy my first Mac for my birthday and uh, I was very, very pleased that I got in on the ground floor there. It's a great place to start. I think the Intel Macs yes. really helped propel Apple to where they are for computing now. Um, well, it sort of leveled the playing field, didn't yeah, it? Because then you know, PC users could then sort of work out, oh, right, so choose an Intel and it's this. Because at the time, we were all into processors and, and speeds of processors and stuff. And this, you know, the Apple was powered by this weird power PC thing that, that you, you couldn't really equate to something in, in the Windows environment. So when they when they brought the Intel chips in, that sort of leveled things out, and you could actually make comparisons between uh, PCs and Macs, and then it, it became more easier to understand. I think at that point. And then the funny thing was, obviously, it changed because when it became about cores, it didn't yeah. matter anymore because the clock speed was lower, but it was faster. Yes, yeah. Lots of stuff that I don't understand, except that basic part. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I know. <laughs> so we um, with every every time I do a show, I always I like to put out. Um, a call for questions from the audience and uh, from our listeners and they, you know, they come in from Twitter and app.net um, mm-hmm. and the first one of such questions is from at dab IGC um, and he wonders or she wonders uh, what do you find the pitfalls and strengths of screencasting um, to be in comparison to something like text-based and screenshot-based tutorials um, right the, the pitfalls and benefits hmm. Pitfalls, it's you can't hide in a screencast. If um, if you're doing a, if you're doing a written piece or if you're doing a, a screen-based tutorial, of course you know you, you don't see any of the mistakes and stuff. So it's it's all nicely laid out and you can spend time. I suppose you can do that in the screencast as well, but it's a much more sort of. Uh, although I, I record it live and edit, it's still. Um, I, I think you can probably get more across. You can fit more information in the screencast, and also you can. 
Um, I think people, I, I think for me, I, I can put some enthusiasm into the, the, the topics that I'm covering and I can relay that enthusiasm across to other people. So it's not a very dry sort of, um, you know, just sort of technical appreciation of a particular software package. I, I try to put my personal spin on it, uh, put some enthusiasm in as to why I like it is what I'm covering. And I think that comes across in the screencast because of course, you know, you, you, you're hearing my voice and, um, you know, seeing what I'm doing on screen. So I think it's a much more, not so much interactive, but I think it's a, a much richer environment for you to get your ideas out there. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've recently um, tried, well, I started writing a book for how to get into podcasting mm-hmm. and I ended up abandoning the project because I found it so difficult to explain how to use software in right. text. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's difficult also. I mean, I, I used to feel so sorry for colleagues of mine who were doing audio podcasts when they were trying to do, um, you know, sort of audio tutorials, you know, trying to just describe, you know, what buttons you needed to press and what screens you had to go to. And I thought, goodness, you know, so difficult to do. Yeah. Whereas on a, you know, on a screencast, you've got both, you've got both the audio and also the, uh, the visual of actually seeing the screen. But then I can also throw up captions as well. You know, if I forget to put something in um, or if I want to just restate something or clarify something, I can always, you know, in post-production, I can always throw a caption up on the screen or, or just re-edit it, you know, uh, overdub a bit where I perhaps I haven't quite got it right the first time. I can always go in and, and do a quick overdub. So it's, uh, it's much easier to do it that way. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, you can do things just like um, highlighting. I know that through watching some of your videos, you'll sometimes dim the screen and highlight where the mouse is and stuff like that. Yeah, it really depends. I try not to go overboard on sort of effects and things, but where it's useful, the, the, the place where that... Or, or what I'm finding now is that um, with iOS-based screencasts, it's so difficult to, because you've got no on-screen pointer. Um, so I have to do a lot of animation now to, you know, draw people's attention to various parts of the screen where I want them to, to see where I'm about to tap. So I'll sometimes, you know, if, it's, if it's important, I'll, I'll draw a box around it before I tap it. Or I even animate the taps as well, uh, which is a, a huge pain oh. and... Um, a considerable amount of work to put in, but I think it's useful. You know, if you're just um, talking away and just tapping the screen, and people can't see where it is you're tapping because it's very difficult. Once once you've tapped the the screen, something happens. Um, if you don't know where your finger is about to touch the screen, you just lose it. You know, you have to rewind. Where did what did he tap? So uh, the iOS stuff is is quite difficult to produce because those taps. In most applications, they don't actually appear on screen. You just see the results of what happens. So I have to sort of uh, put some animation to, to, to draw people's attention to various parts. What are you using these days to capture um, iOS screencasts? Um, right, well, I'm still using, I mean, my main application is uh, ScreenFlow, and that's uh, a, a Mac application that is both a screen capture application but also a video, video editing app as well, and it's optimized for screencasts. Um, I mean, I used to use various um, capture tools and then use Final Cut Pro to do the post-production, do all the editing. But I found, well, probably since, uh, you know, a couple of versions back, actually, ScreenFlow does pretty much everything I need to do uh, in a single package. And um, I sort of concentrate on that now. So for the Mac one, that's easy. I just capture the desktop in ScreenFlow, uh, edit everything in ScreenFlow as well, put all my um, captions in there, uh, do some animations in there as well. So that's for the Mac. For, the, for iOS, uh, what I use is AirPlay from the iOS device. I use AirServer on the Mac. So 
So I then capture the iOS device screen on my Mac screen um, and then capture that within ScreenFlow, and it's the same production process from that point on. So it's uh, ScreenFlow that's in the capture, but um, I have to sort of uh, play the iOS screen onto my Mac screen so I can capture it there. So you, because I know previously when we spoke and you were looking at like hardware solutions and HDMI yeah, capture I mean, and I've, stuff. I've done them all. Oh, <laughs> you know, uh, in the early days um, before AirPlay, it had to be a hardware solution, and uh, I had to sort of go down the jailbreaking route to uh, to get the audio out of the iOS devices. But now with AirPlay, that's nice and easy. But they, they still don't make it that easy. I've still got some hardware devices. I've got some. Um, Thunderbolt capture devices. I've got some USB devices, but the AirPlay solution to a Mac screen is is so much easier now than it used. To, you know, the sort of uh, things I used to have to jump through to to make it work. I've played around with a couple of those apps, and, and they're quite good. You know, something you said on it. I mean, people probably hate to hear me say this, but one of the good things about Android is you can turn on a, a preference which shows um, it highlights screen taps. Mm-hmm. For, for things like capture, yeah, it's just such a simple thing, and I know yeah. it's such because it's in their developer tools on the device. But it would be so great if you, in Xcode you could do something like that, wouldn't it? You know, yeah, it's crazy, really. I mean, some application developers have actually put some hooks in. Um, I know PDF Pen has a presentation mode, and you can switch on the taps, so you can actually see the taps on the screen, which is great. But I'm really surprised that Apple hasn't, you know, this this late in the game still hasn't done anything like that because it's even for accessibility you'd think it would be an accessibility feature to allow people to you know view the screen but I mean, just, I for, just think for with presentations it's the education market it it yeah. really benefits the education market like mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't i don't think it has to be something that you is just in settings like i think it could be going to xcode and turn this on because mm. you know the, the, there are still quite narrow use cases for it but it doesn't seem like it would be a very difficult thing and they don't have to do it oh because don McAllister wants to use it <laughs> there are real applications where that is is useful yeah yeah but it's um, I, I still say go go just have a plain settings in accessibility so you can switch on taps that would do me down to the ground it'd be lovely wouldn't it <laughs> So um, another question from Andrew Wylant, and he's asking about um, how you manage key man risk. So this is in doing – you do all the voiceovers and stuff yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wonders if this constrains or hinders the growth of your business. And I kind of expanded that to say, what do you do if you get sick? Do you, do you have plans in place? Like do you have a, a bunch of episodes in the can at all times? Oh, if only. If only. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had to. Um, I've just come back from Australia. I did the uh, a MacMania um, trip, which uh, took me away for for now on three weeks. But then I had to prepare lots of sessions for while I was away as well. So um, it, in the end, it worked out. I had to do like about five weeks worth of stuff in advance to sort of give me a a, a break and also to for the time I was away. And it, I managed it, but it, you know, it's it's hard work to to get that far in advance. So the, the, the ideal would be, yes, I'd have three or four weeks' worth of shows sort of in the can. Uh, that's not the case now, but I'm really going to sort of knuckle down and try and sort of put that in place for, uh, for, for next year, really. Um, because it, once I'd done it, it was such a relief, you know, not to sort of have to worry about this constant weekly schedule. Um, so, yes, um, it is difficult when I'm, when I'm not well. Uh, in fact, in, in the six or seven years I've done it, I've only actually missed about two weeks, I think, where I've not that been. That is able to... incredible, Don. That yeah, is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. 
It's, uh, I mean, some, some of them I've croaked through, you know, with a sore throat or something or uh, a blocked nose. Like, I, I mean, I've got a blocked nose now, which is probably, it might be noticeable, it might not be, but I had to do two shows this week and uh, I sort of, uh, listening back to them, they're not too bad, but I know that I've got the blocked nose and it doesn't sound quite right. So, you know, I would be happy um, not to have to do that. But, uh, and also, I've, I've also got, um, occasionally I bring people in to sort of help out. Now, while I was away, um, she had, uh, got a guy called Todd, Todd Altoff, who's uh, who's already done some screencasts, and uh, I brought him in a couple of months ago to do one or two for me. And uh, he stepped in and has done a couple for while I was away, so that's great. And I might do more of that in the future. You know, sort of bring some guest screencasters in, sort of take some of the pressure off, and uh, and enable me to sort of build up a bit of a, a buffer uh, for, for times when I do want to do other things or, or for when I'm not well. So yeah, fully aware of the um, the problem. Um, what. I need to be a bit careful, though, because, and it sounds a bit daft, but um, I, I don't really need to dilute what I'm doing because a lot of the, uh, it's, it's difficult to say this about coming across as big head or anything, but one of the reasons why people sometimes like Screencast Online is because it's me delivering the content. They, they sort of become familiar with my style yep. and, um, you know, that my approach to how they do it. So they quite like that. So I can't sort of turn around and say, right, from, from this point on, we're going to have a different presenter every week for the next six weeks or something, because that would you know, seriously annoy a lot of people. Yeah. And um, so it needs to be sort of managed sensitively. But I would imagine in the future I'll, I will bring more people in and you'll see more sort of guest screencasters. Um, but but certainly not, you know, suddenly change over from day one to a, a completely different regime. That's not going to happen. No, I can totally understand it. Like I, I sort of was, was being lighthearted of it at the start of the episode. But I think that your voice has become a, a recognized voice in the Mac community. Like it's just yeah. whether they know who you are or not. <laughs> True, I think yeah. a lot of people just know your voice. Um, well, because it used you, to be in the early days. I, I don't do so much now, but um, again, it was as, as, it was needed to be done as part of building the business. Um, obviously, to, to build up a membership system takes a while. You know, it gets to critical mass whereby it's it becomes viable. So while I was building up the numbers on the membership side, I, I would do other things. So. Um, you know, lots of the bundles when they came out, I did the, the, the yep. videos for the various Mac bundles um, for lots of, um, you know, well-known products. You know, uh, I used to do lots of screencasts, um, not so much for screencasts online, but for, for commissioned work, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people would, would know me from that. And also from being on other people's podcasts as well. That's another uh, way that people get to know your voice, you know, with MacBreak Weekly and the Mac Roundtable, etc. So there's lots of places people, you know, if they're interested in the Mac, they, they sort of would hear my voice not necessarily just from a screencast online uh, video. Because I think the first places that I sort of recognise your voice from was, as you say, some of the bundle videos, and I think from the OmniFocus videos as well. Yeah, that's right. Yep, I did all those. In the, uh, not all of them, but I did quite a few uh, in the early days. So, yes. Not so much now. Not so much now, because I, I need, especially with going up to two uh, shows a week, you know, it, it, that, that takes a lot of production work. So and I really want to focus on those. Well, so you have your own content to create now. Yes, yeah, yeah. Do, do your own OmniFocus videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, that's that's what I do now as well. Because I, I, again, I used to do sort of sponsorship uh, arrangements. Um, it would always be for products that I enjoyed and, and wanted to recommend to people. But you know, I, I would do sort of like a, a sponsorship arrangement with uh, with a vendor and cover it on the show. Uh, and I tend not to do that now. So it's it, in some respects, it's sort of like leaving money on the table because I could if I wanted to. But it's just uh, I don't need to anymore, so it's easier for me to uh, to not worry about that side of it and uh, and just do totally independent 
uh, I've, I've got free range on, on what applications I cover, and it's uh, it's a much uh, easier system to operate. Really. Excellent. Now we're going to just take a quick break to thank our sponsor, but I've got lots of interesting things to ask you when we come back, including my favourite question to ask Don McAllister: What hardware are you currently using? Uh-huh. It's always my every time every time I talk to you, Don. I always love to to find out because it's always different. Right. So um, our sponsor this week is those fine folks over at Squarespace. Squarespace.com, they give you absolutely everything you need to make your home online. Um, They provide you a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, or portfolio. It doesn't matter how experienced you are when it comes to building websites. You can put something together in minutes that looks incredible. You don't have to worry about... Um, scaling, you don't have to worry about hosting because they have rock solid hosting, it doesn't matter who links to you or anything like that because your site will always remain up because Squarespace makes sure of it with the new Squarespace 6 they've implemented some fantastic new features like their beautiful new templates which are all feature responsive web design, you don't have like a, a, a desktop version and a mobile version, you have one version of your site that scales all of the content and, and imagery and everything to make sure that it looks beautiful no matter what device you're looking at and they have a totally new drag-and-drop layout system called Layout Engine. This is how you build your pages. You add blocks of content such as photos, videos, text, social media content, like you can have Instagram galleries, um, tweets, um, and many more fantastic little widgets and, and interesting blocks of content. And you can set these pages up in seconds, and you can just drag them all around and make it look exactly how you want. If you love stats, they have real-time analytics that are built right into Squarespace natively. And they have iOS and Android apps to let you see these, and you can also manage your site and post on the go. If you have a blog elsewhere, you can easily import your content from your current blog, and you can set up sharing with and syncing with your social media accounts to make sure that they're always updated with the newest thing on your website. There's no credit card required to try out Squarespace, and you can try out all of these fantastic f- features with a free trial. Just go to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels and sign up. If you decide to purchase after the trial, Squarespace starts at only $10 a month for the standard plan and $20 a month for the unlimited plan. If you sign up for one year up front, you'll get 20% off this total price. And if you you know, you know pay up, up front in one price and you get 20% off. And if you sign up for two years, you'll get 25% off. If you uh, also, at the pricing screen at checkout, if you click enter an offer code, there's a little link there, and use the code 70 decibels 11 you will get an additional 10% off, and this will let Squarespace know that you found out about them through command space and 70 decibels. Thank you very much to Squarespace for their continued support. So, Don, what hardware are you currently using? What, what is Don McAllister's setup right now? Right, well, I... Um I've gone for the 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro. That's my main machine now. And it's, um, it's quite nice in that I used to have uh, a desktop and a laptop. I used to use a, a MacBook Air uh, as a portable, you know, but have my main desktop machine where I did all my production stuff and uh, sync stuff between it, use Dropbox, you know, the, us- the usual thing. But I have to say, having just the single machine as both my desktop and my laptop is uh, is quite a breath of fresh air, actually. it's It's been really good. Um, it's It's... Even more powerful than my old MacBook, uh, my Mac Pro. I used to have That's a Mac. Inc- Pro. That is incredible. Yeah, it's and it's you know it's the um, it's I mean it's not super light but it's light enough and that nice big screen with the Retina display you know gives me all the screen real estate that I need when I'm out and about. Uh, of course, when I'm at my desk, I have um, I've got two 27-inch cinema displays hooked up to it, so I've got as much real estate 
that uh, I can handle, to be honest. Probably a bit too much. <laughs> but um, but that, that's fine. And then I'm starting to um, move away from some of the old sort of drive arrays to Thunderbolt-based drives and stuff. And um, no, it's, it's a sweet little system. So do you... What you know, because obviously you use the fifteen-inch Retina quite a lot. What's it like to go to the non-Retina displays? You know what? I, I, it's not that bad. I, I mean, obviously the twenty-seven-inch cinema displays are, are non-Retina, but they're beautiful displays anyway. So that's that's no big deal for me. Um, the iPad is beautiful. Um, the the iPad Mini, uh, I'm quite surprised actually. I thought I might suffer a bit with the iPad Mini uh, with it being non-Retina, but. You know, it's noticeable, but it's certainly not as noticeable as the iPad 2. I mean, I can't use the iPad 2 because that just sort of really does hurt my eyes. Yeah. But the iPad Mini I find uh, perfectly usable. So uh, that, that was a bit of a big surprise to me, really. Yeah, I was vehemently against the iPad Mini. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I bought one anyway because that's what we do. What um, do. And I've sold my iPad free. I mean, really? <laughs> the form factor of this thing, I just I love it so much. It's incredible, strange, isn't it? Yeah, because I, I always thought uh, when, when the original iPad came out, you know, that I wonder if wonder if uh, Apple will actually go to a bigger iPad eventually, like an iPad Pro, you know, like a, a bigger form factor. And then the iPad Mini came out, and now the iPad seems huge. Yeah, like, good, goodness, it just seems uh, so so big, and it seems ripe for um, a change of resolution on the bigger one as well because it seems so, you know, everything just seems so large on it. Well, the iPad Mini, it's great. You know, I'm, uh, I have to say though, I, I got it the uh, the day it came out, but then that was the day I travelled to Australia, and of course, with it only being Wi-Fi, I've not really used it very much while I was away. But since I've been back, I've been using it more uh, Wi-Fi in the house, etc. And I have to say, it, I do really like that form factor. I mean, I was using a Nexus Seven um, prior, so I knew I loved the seven inch, mm-hmm. uh, but I've, and now obviously having the seven inch form factor that I really love with the iPad software is. It's like a match made in heaven. I honestly don't see me ever going to a larger iPad again. I don't see why I would do it. Mm. There's no benefit for me anymore. I mean, I use an 11-inch MacBook Air as my main machine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't need a 10-inch iPad as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I can appreciate that. But the thing with the the iPad Mini that I like, though, is the, uh, and I have got the Nexus 7 as well, but I I still don't like the 16 by 9, 16, 10 ratio for, for these tablets. It's great if you're watching movies, but for anything else, it's it's just too thin and narrow. Whereas right. the the four by three uh, ratio on the iPad, I think, is perfect for for most things. And then if I want to watch a movie, you know, I'll just watch it letterbox. It's no big deal. But for everything else, that extra screen real estate really does make a big difference. I tell you, um, I I've, I've been, I was okay with it really, the sixteen by nine, and I love it on the iPhone five. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's different on the iPhone because that that's like a. Um, you know, that's a, that's a handheld device. Yeah. So that's and the long, thin shape I think suits the phone. But on the tablet, I don't know. It just it just seemed a bit weird to me because I, I sort of read a lot on the on the uh, on the tablet device rather than the iPhone. I, there are still things I don't. You know, if if I've got a tablet, I'd much rather use the tablet than the iPhone. But the iPhone's the thing I just take away with me. You know, when I'm going yeah. anywhere. I'm so pleased that Apple made the made the jump with the iPhone five with the screen size. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. Uh, it's it's a, it's a nice device, and it's surprising that extra, just the extra few pixels on the end make all the difference, don't they? Mm-hmm. They really do. It's great. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. <laughs> so, um, for you, how important is the having the right setup? Because it's clear, clearly, it's something you like. You know, you, you tweak a lot, um, and I assume you tweak it to just make it better all the time. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, 
I don't know so much. Yeah, it, it can be a bit distracting. I try not to tweak too much because you end up sort of doing too many tweaks and not getting on with the productive stuff. So <laughs> uh, once, once it's set up, that's, that's probably it. And oh, I think also as well with having just a single machine, that sort of takes away some of the sort of setup that I had to do before, you know, making sure everything was synchronized and, and copying things left, right and center. If, I, if I'm going somewhere and I want to do some work, I know it's going to be on my machine because, you know, I, I only have the one machine now. So yeah. that's, that's good. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult like today, you know, probably I didn't waste half an hour, but I spent half an hour sort of just getting some of the stuff that I was working on while I was away off this machine and somewhere else. Cause I want to try and keep the, um, you know, enough space on the actual SSD drive on this particular machine. Cause it's, although it's a fairly big SSD, it's a 512, but when you do video production stuff, it's very easy to, uh, to use that space up. So, uh, it's mainly housekeeping that I tend to spend time fiddling with. So do you do you render on the MacBook Pro as well? Yeah, yeah, it's all everything happens on there. So wow. the uh, the recording, the editing and also the um the final render and the creation of the different uh files and then the upload from the so it's it's everything is done. I, I did when I first got it, I, I still had the Mac Pro uh next to me. And what I thought would what I thought I'd do is well what I'll do is I'll I'll do the editing and the you know, um and create the master file on here, and then I'll offload it to the Mac Pro, because that's got eight cores, and that can go away and render in the background, you know, I'll just carry on with some other work. It, was spent, it, it took me more time to actually ship the, the files off to the other machine and, and faff about, you know, making sure that it was working fine than it is just to let it run on this machine. I can still carry on and do other things with it while it's rendering. So, you know, it, it all stays on the MacBook Pro now. That's interesting, because I know that you've, you've, you know, you had before, like you used the 11-inch air to record on... Yeah, and then you had like the MacBook Pro was doing the rendering, but now it's all on one machine. That's very it's yeah, it's much more efficient. It's, and it's it's actually faster than the the Mac Pro. I mean, it was a 2008 Mac Pro, so it was um, no, fairly long in the tooth, but it's still a processor, like Xeon processor. You know, it's a respectable machine. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this uh, this one does it even faster. Surprising how much those SSDs really help with that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been using SSDs for a couple of years now because I actually did um, uh, I, I did put one into the, the Mac Pro and I've had one in several of the machines. But uh, I think once you've, once you've used an SSD, it just makes such a huge difference. Uh, it's very difficult to go back to a, a, a standard platter. So it's a question for you, something I've always wondered. How do you choose what apps to cover on Screencast Online? Uh, yeah, it's, it's really... Um, I mean, there are there are sort of perennial ones that keep coming up. Obviously, if a new operating system comes out, I have to cover that. So, you know, each time there's a new refresh of the operating system, uh, that's probably going to take five or six episodes for me to, to cover it properly. So they're, they're sort of always there. Um, the big Apple apps as well. I don't do the Apple Pro apps, but, you know, the uh, again, I've sort of been waiting for new versions of, uh, of the iWork stuff to come out. So they'll always get covered. But then I think the thing that sets Screencast Online apart from any other is, is the third-party stuff that I cover. And they, are, they do tend to be things that I've, I use and would recommend to people. And um, just, just things I either think people will be interested in. I mean, obviously, I get lots of people sort of sending me requests to cover various things. But um, I, I sort of follow a path of my own choosing, really. I, I, sort of, I think I sort of gauge what people will be interested in. Um, and, and just sort of select those particular applications. I'm guilty sometimes of um, perhaps, you know, there, there are some 
with me, there are, there are some ones that I use and I know really well, and it's very easy for me to cover those. And there are other ones which I, I should know, but I don't use. But I do feel that people need to know what they're like. So I'll spend time to learn those and, and sort of uh, feature those. That doesn't happen very often. And I'm fortunate in that I can pick up applications fairly quickly. So if there's something I think you know, I should cover because it's the uh, you know, software of the day or it's becoming very, very popular, but I've never used it, I, I will take time out to uh, pull it in. Uh, go through it, learn it, and then convert that into a screencast and push it out that way. But it, it's very, um, you know, there's no, there's no fixed formula. It's, it's what I feel to be uh, appropriate at the time. Which is cool. Um, yeah, yeah. At Darius uh, would like to know what your planning workflow is. Like, how do you get from a list of possible topics to a screencast in production like do you go through the applications and pick out the things that you want to talk about because i assume you have to get to know them before you can really record about them um yeah i mean the, the overall um s- sort of approach i take really is to because each screencast is only about uh well, it's between 30 and 40 minutes normally for a mac one and it's 15 to 20 minutes for an ios one uh i'm not you know they're, they're not you know four or five hours worth of content going through every single aspect of a particular software application. What I try to do is to do um, uh, an overall uh, review of what the software is capable of and bring out some of the features that people mightn't actually be aware that it can do and just really give people a basis from which if there's something that interests them or something they can see being useful to them, they can actually sort of delve in in a bit more detail. So it's very much... um, a way of exposing the, the core functionality of an application so that people can then you know, go, go ahead and, and use it at a basic level. And if they want to take it further, they can you know, either get a pro course or something or, or, or learn themselves. So uh, you know, if, if I get a, an application in, I'll go through and I'll, I'll sort of work out what the, you know, the, the top features are. And I'll, I'll construct um, uh, an outline as to the, the various topics that I want to cover and, and assemble that in a logical order. Uh, might necessarily be what you might think is a logical order, but I'll, I'll normally, you know, work my way through the application in what I think is a logical order to um, lead from one thing to the next or to to bring out certain features. But by by doing that, um, even if it's an application that I've used myself for quite a while, um, I mean, I'm doing one this week. The one that's going out this week is about ScreenFlow. It's an update show for ScreenFlow version four. Now I've actually been using that for um, you know the past three or four months because I've been a beta tester of it. So you would think that I know pretty much all the, the new features in there. But, you know, uh, as part of the process I go through, I, I pull it out. I go to the vendor's website and go through all the documentation, make sure I've not missed anything out. And lo and behold, a couple of features in there I, I, I didn't realize were in there. So I've sort of brought them out. You know, it's, it's weird. So I learn a lot by uh, examining the applications, even the ones I'm familiar with, um, because, you know, you, you do feel... Um, Personally, I, I feel a, a sense that I, I, I need to cover all the bases. Um, and if I miss anything out, you know, I'm mortified if I've missed a, a critical piece of an application out, which mm-hmm. doesn't happen very often. So I'm very diligent in the way that I approach going through what I think needs to be covered in the screencast and, and putting it together. So, um, you know, you are a man, obviously, who has, to, who has many ideas. You have a few different um, little businesses under the Screencast Online name. Mm-hmm. I wonder how, what systems do you have in place for capturing ideas? What, what do you use? What apps do you use, if any? Um, not, nothing specific, to be honest. I mean, I basically have a numbers spreadsheet where I, uh, well, I suppose I do. I mean, I use Reader 
um, an RSS reader. The the um, I use two actually. I use Reader on the Mac and Mister Reader on uh, my iPad. So if I see a blog post or someone's written something that I find interesting, I'll I'll send that across to Evernote. Um, I, I have some tags in Evernote set up for Mac show ideas and iOS show ideas. So it, it might be just someone's you know put a hint together, or it might be a whole article about something which might be interesting to to cover in a show later on. So I'll send them across to Evernote. So within Evernote, I've got those tags where I can go through and have a look at the various things I've captured. Um, I have um, a number spreadsheet that I just, you know, if I think of a, some of the topics, I'll just add them to the list. I've sort of got um, a show schedule spreadsheet, which takes me through, you know, uh, the shows that I've got planned, and I'll sort of add things into there as well. And uh, I never really look more than three or four weeks ahead of, of where I am, to be honest. Um, but I'll, I'll sort of put ideas in there as well. And, and that's it, mainly, to be honest, probably just Evernote and this number spreadsheet that I have to, to capture things. Um, if people send me an email with a, a request for uh, an application to cover, again, I'll, I'll forward that onto Evernote and put a tag in the, uh, in the title so that I know it's Mac or iOS that gets uh, sent across to Evernote. So I'll go in there periodically. Uh, if, if, I, if I'm scratching for ideas, I'll just you know, fire up Evernote and go through and... Uh, and find those that are, are, are of most interest to me at the time. That's the nice thing about sort of not planning too far ahead as well. Um, I, I can be very current, but also, you know, I can, I can do things where the mood takes me, you know, if I'm in the mood to do one particular application, um, one particular week I can do that. Yeah, it's um, one of the good things about Evernote is the many ways that you can get notes in. Mm. Lots of apps like like RSS reader applications, you can just throw things straight yeah. in there. You can email, as you say. There's lots of different ways. Yeah, Mr. Reader, it's just a tap and it goes straight into Evernote. It's great. And it, you can even add the tags in as well with Mr. Reader. So, um, you know, I can, I can assign the tag to it as it goes in as well. So that's, that's great. Such a strange name for an application. Mr. Reader. Mr. Oh, reader. <laughs> it's pretty, Mr. Reader, yeah. It's very it's, peculiar. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a great app. The, the, uh, yeah, the icon's a little bit... Mm. Yeah, but, uh, so it's a great app. I'm gonna have to check it out again. I mean, I downloaded it when it first came out and found the uh, UI to be a bit much. Yeah. Oh no, it's it's yeah, it's had a few releases since then. So you you might be pleasantly surprised when you go back. Okay. And that's another thing as well. You know, applications are constantly being upgraded and uh, having additional information or, or additional features overlaid. So um, I'll do an update show now and again, like this one for ScreenFlow. Um, I'll also do. You know, if it's not one particular application, I'll do a, a montage show where I'll, I'll put together four or five smaller segments. Um, people like those, you know, where I'll just dive in and do a couple of hints and tips. Um, and, and they're nice to do as well, rather than just the, the straightforward, this is an application, this is how it works, and uh, I, can, I can mix it around that way. So being a man who, who, is, who has so many things on the go, when you come up with an idea for a new project, like the monthly magazine, do you have a criteria for if it's something you want to pursue? Or do you, do you just feel right? No, this is right for me. Do you do you just go on that gut feeling? Yeah, I just basically go on the gut feeling. I mean, I think it through quite a bit, um, but there's no there's no sort of business plan or there's no sort of um, you know, budgeting and stuff like that. It's it's basically um, you know based on feel really. And with the magazine, well, with the magazine, when when the newsstand first came out, you know, two years ago, I thought right, that's that's where I I need to be to be honest because. Um, the content I produce is episodic and, you know, it's a subscription service. 
Um, it's just another way to, to deliver the content to perhaps a different uh, type of person who might want to subscribe to a podcast or, or you know, doesn't, doesn't fully understand how to uh, get the content through iTunes you know, with these members' feeds and this, you know, weird and wonderful podcast system. But, but a, a magazine, you know, people can really latch onto that. You know, uh, normal people would understand what a magazine subscription is. So um, at the time, I thought that's where I wanted to be, but it was just so difficult technically to... Um, to arrange to have a, a magazine published, uh, unless you went down a very expensive route of, of you know, getting some of the Adobe products or some of the other products, and it, it was all, it was all just a bit, bit difficult. You know, I wanted a nice simple solution, and then uh, this this platform became available a couple of months ago called Magcast, and it was perfect. It was exactly what I wanted. It was um, you know a way to get into the newsstand very very easily with a minimal amount of effort. And just sort of, um, you know, a couple of extra days work every month and I could repurpose some of the content that I was creating and content that other people were creating and just put them together in a magazine and, and put it through that way. And uh, that, that's working really well. I'm really pleased with the, the magazine. That's, uh, that's going great guns at the moment. Yeah, I, I really like the magazine. I think it's great. Yeah, it's good fun to put together as well. And I think it's, um, you know, it has the potential to be as, as, as big as the, the membership side of things. You know, it's, it's early days, but, um, you know, I think it's, it's a good way. One, one of the things with, it's the same, I think it's the same with a lot of sort of Mac-based um, podcasts and uh, Mac-based businesses, is that we, we see so many uh, of the figures of the number of Mac users that are continually expanding, you know, and the number of iOS devices that are getting sold. And, you know, how we, we can reach um, sort of the Mac enthusiast community fairly easily because we all know, we all listen to the same podcasts and we all you know, know the same pundits and um, we seek out the information. But there's a huge, huge uh, swell, ever-growing ever swell of people who are using Macs and, and iOS devices that you know, we need to reach out to to, to, to help them or to, to give them more information. And, you know, it's how you actually reach them because they, they won't be listening to Mac podcasts and they're, they're not that particularly interested in all things Apple. But, you know, they, they're using these machines. They've got these devices on the desks and, and in their homes. And uh, I see the magazine as a way of actually getting to, to that particular part of the, uh, this expanding community. So that, that's quite exciting. I mean, it's your magazine and Marco's magazine. It's the only, only use that I have for... <laughs> For uh, for news yeah. stand at all? Well, again, it's it, you know it's it's just the way it's developed because you know some of the traditional magazines were just facsimiles of the the print magazines, and that's not really you know it, it's okay. It's it's one use of it, but it's not really the way it should go. I, I think what Marco's done with the uh, with the magazine is is um, is really good. It's 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 um, quite quite a refreshing application, nice and simple, clean. And um, you know that's I think that's done a lot of good for newsstand because it's brought newsstand up to you know people's attention. I agree. Yeah, I mean that is really good, um, and it is. You know, it's it's not just about the static page, the scan, or like you know, like in the case of Wired, which are maybe a little too far in the other um, the other direction. You turn <laughs> it around to do this and flip it upside down to do that, and it's yeah. Yeah, because some of these things do get quite complicated as to how to use them, and it puts people off, I think. And, and also the huge. size of them yeah. as well. I mean, you know, in the early days, a lot of these magazines were, you know, 500, 600 megabytes downloads, even larger, you know, because they were just print, you know, they were just images, huge images. Uh, I mean, my magazine is um, is literally, I think, I think the last one's about, 
Well, they do two versions. When, when it gets published, they do a retina version and an unretina version. And they're only around about 40 or 50 megabytes. And then all the, all the video content is actually streamed. So that way we can sort of keep the magazine downloads to uh, a very small amount. And then you, when you want to access the videos, they, they will just stream across the internet. I know that sounds like such a simple way of, like it just seems like such a simple idea, but that actually makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you know, really when you're reading something like that, or viewing, watching something like that, you would probably be somewhere with an internet connection. Like, it just would seem logical. Yeah. And therefore, you know, if I want to read the... If, you know, when I see the new magazine come out, I've not got to wait for ages and ages and ages to download it. Yeah, it's just it's just there. And, and the thing is, as well, with, with newsstand, is that it publishes in the background so that, um, you know, once I hit the button to publish, it actually starts downloading straight away to, to quite a few devices. Yeah. Uh, and within 24 hours, it's been delivered to everyone. Then I send a push notification to say the new magazine's out. And hopefully when most people go to the newsstand, it's already been downloaded and it's ready to read. I didn't know that you manually did that. I thought that it just happened on its... Like, the push notification just happened. Like, I didn't... No, well, uh, I don't know how it works with other systems, but on the, the MagCast platform, um, there's some integration with... Um, what the service is now but basically it's when the magazine is is ready to go um there's a I, I publish the magazine and that gets sent off the actual magazine pages are all stored on amazon s3 so they go off to amazon s3 it's all automated i press a button and it gets published and then there's also another button that says for apple to uh, start distributing it to newsstand so i press that button and then it does the it distributes it to all the uh, to all the subscribers and then there's another button which I can then send a push notification out to people. So I can then control, you know, when the, when the, when the issue goes out and also when I notify people that it's, uh, it's arrived or it's been sent out anyway. That's, that sounds so simple. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's even better than that because the, um, the MagCast system, the integration with push notifications is like you can actually send uh, different push notifications out to different people so that if you're a subscriber to the magazine, I can send you one push notification out if you've downloaded the app but you haven't subscribed, I could send a slightly differently worded um, push notification out so that, providing you've accepted that you want push notifications, of course, you know, I can sort of uh, remind you politely that the, the new magazine is out and if you want to go and subscribe, you'll get it early and stuff like that. So a little bit of marketing in there, but it's, very, it's a very powerful system. It sounds it. I mean, it's good because I can only imagine, especially with what you want to do, it would be very difficult to create that Yes, yeah. Oh, very much so. Um, I mean, it could be done, but it would cost tens of thousands, probably. Yeah. Like listening to Marco on Build and Analyze, and and the magazine is very simple. Like you know, he's not dealing with imagery and videos and things like that. But it seems like it was quite difficult to create the magazine, the application, that that <laughs> the newsstand application, because of all of these little things like the background downloading and things like that. Yes. Well, well, Apple provide a lot of that for you, but you need to hook into it exactly. to make it work. Even the subscription model, you know, you need to. Um, uh, I mean, each each individual episode is a is a separate in-app purchase, in effect. But then the subscriptions are different. Uh, they're, they're they're slightly different forms of in-app purchases, and you can have you know different periods as well. So there's like a monthly subscription or a um, an annual subscription, and you've got to sort of hook into all those. So it's it's quite quite involved, but. The, Again, you know, the MagCast platform as it stands, you get that all included in the actual platform itself. So there's no, no coding required, thank goodness. 
So the, the other sort of project that you have is, is the SEO tutor applications. Mm-hmm. Now, these are dedicated apps in all of the app stores, right? Mac and iOS app store. Yes, that's right. And they run on all the devices. Um, and you have some that are set around specific applications like iPhoto um, and iBooks author. And then you have some um, for iOS, like learning the iPad. And you have one for Mountain Lion as well. Yep. Um, one, and I guess the, the the interesting thing, and I'll put a couple of links in the, in the show notes, is you've had... Um, an interesting time of it would probably be a, <laughs> a good a good way of calling it, where you've had some issues with getting them in and keeping them in the App Store. Yeah, it's not been the the Mac App Store has been fine. I had no problems with that, but the iOS App Store, um, which is separate, handled completely separately. Uh, there were the, the different teams that handled both App Stores. Um, unfortunately, I hit a problem a couple of months ago, whereby um, one of the apps that I submitted was rejected. And uh, I'd already had you know four or five apps in the App Store at the time, but uh, this new app was was rejected on the basis that it was a, a video tutorial, which was uh, was quite surprising because you know I already had video tutorials in there, and lots of other people have got video tutorials in the App Store as well, you know, as apps. But they ha- they had a change of policy um, that they didn't want video tutorials in the App Store, so they rejected that particular app, and then uh, they decided to reject all my other apps. So the apps that were already on sale they actually withdrew from sale, which uh, was a bit of a, bit of a shock. Um, but the worst of it was that other people who had video tutorials still in the store were, were already remained in the store. So for some reason, they just pulled mine and uh, sort of scratched my head and wondered why they'd done it. But with lots of toing and froing and uh, several reiterations of the, the app framework that uh, we put there, we, we managed to persuade them to well, I'm not, not sure if we managed to persuade them, but they, they changed their decision in the end and allowed us to uh, put the apps back into the App Store. But it took, it took three or four months of um, uh, some rewrites and appeals and stuff. It was, it was quite, a, quite a difficult process, but I didn't really want to give up on it, to be honest. I wanted to try and get them back in, which is you know, um, out of fairness more than anything, because I, I really couldn't see why my, my, mine were rejected and others were still in there. Um, at TV uh, Shoren has asked, you know, do, do you think that Apple likes and, or dislikes, your, you know, tutorials or your tutorials? Or do you think, or sort of what, what I would add to that is, do you think that maybe this was just misguided or, you know, because and, and, now they seem to have kind of reversed the decision? Yeah, I, I don't think it was personal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we really don't like that Don McAllister. <laughs> no, no, I don't think it was personal. I think it was just I was unlucky that they... Um, I think they 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 wanted to because they do this they 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 change the goalposts yeah. you know they they have a um they they just revise their policies now and again I just was unfortunate to submit that application at the time when they must have been unsure of the policy and and you know they 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 wanted to uh, to make a change but didn't follow it through and then you know I think it, it they they realised then that it was silly to to remove the video tutorial so they've decided to leave them in. So, um, I mean, I don't think that Apple really, uh, they, they obviously keep track of various things, but there's so much stuff out there now that um, I, I just think I was unfortunate at the time, yeah. to, uh, just unlucky that, uh, you know, I, I met up with, with someone there that uh, wanted to uh, perhaps take the letter of Laura a little bit too far. Because the, the thing is that when, when they first got rejected, they, they suggested that uh, because it was a movie, uh, not so much a video tutorial, but because it was a movie, you know, it was, a, it was actually a, 
a QuickTime movie basically as the application with a, a special player built around it. Um, they, they felt that movies, and in fact their policy said movies should be in iTunes, not in the App Store. Uh, but that's really to stop independent movie developers who create, you know, theatrical movies uh, getting round mm-hmm. some of the constraints of, of getting in iTunes. So Good luck know. getting in iTunes, Don. Well, this is the problem. <laughs> when, when you look at iTunes, you have to be, you know, a, a, proper, a proper movie distributor with, um, you know, there are certain things. So it was impossible for me to put my video tutorials in there. Um, but yeah, they, they rescinded in the end anyway, and um, luckily we can, we're okay now. Good. I'm, I'm very pleased. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we've, we, I was sort of following along um, as you were posting about this um, and the many ups and downs that followed. Um, just as a quick aside, you know, I, I, you, you are a man with, of great restraint, I must say that. <laughs> um, but usually when I see Apple make changes, I can see the logic in them. Mm. But I, I failed to understand the logic of this one. I think that was my main problem with it, and maybe yours too, is the logic of why they had a problem with these applications just seemed very peculiar. It just it didn't really sit with me. It, it, I just didn't understand, really. Yeah, I, I think it's just someone reading into, you know, taking too strict a view of the, the guidelines at the time about movies. Um, apps that were deemed to be movies, songs, or, or books, you know, shouldn't be in the app store they should be in itunes and i think someone just saw that paragraph and uh said right now this is a movie right you know i think it's who you get on the day uh, and i also think it's quite difficult for them to back down once they've made a decision i think that's um yeah so it, it, it just carried on from that particular point you know. indeed well i'm pleased that they've finally sorted themselves out they saw the light yeah no that's, that's okay so I have one last question for you, and, and I am very interested in this one, actually. It's from Luca TNT. And he wonders, how many petabytes of storage have you racked up over the years? <laughs> yeah, probably quite a few. I don't, don't know about petabytes, but <laughs> terabytes is, is... Yeah, and I don't know, because what, what I tend to do is, is some of the... Obviously, I try and keep all the project files, etc., but some of the, the huge output files I generate, I, I sometimes just get rid of because I'm never going to use them again. And I can... I can recreate them as well if I need to. So, uh, I don't know. I've probably got, let's see, I've probably got 20 or 30 terabytes of stuff wow. kicking around on wow. various drives. But I'm sure I've had more drives than that, to be honest. But that's just what you've currently got in, in storage. Uh, yeah, I've got about, I've got, um, I've got a, an eight-bay Drobo, I've got a four-bay Drobo, I've got a, um, <laughs> a two-drive um, Thunderbolt thing here. I've also got two... Um, Sonnet disc arrays as well, and they've all got uh, yeah, so probably about thirty or probably about thirty or forty terabytes of, of storage kicking around. I just imagine you sitting inside a fort made out of hard drives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple of boxes of um, offline storage as well, which that I try and uh, I try and back up some drives and take them out and yeah, put them in a box and send them somewhere. You know, so, so you definitely can't. Is, uh, Storage is a big deal for me, I suppose. You definitely can't use cloud storage, can you? <laughs> not really. Not not for the video projects. They're just too big. You know, they're just the files that are generated are just too large. So it's uh, it's not feasible. Project files and stuff is is fine, but even even then, even the screenflow uh, screenflow project files can be quite large um, if it's a big project. But yeah, no, it's not 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 really feasible. People always shudder when I say this, but I don't keep. Um, copies of the audio files mm. I, my, my thinking behind this is I upload them to our hosts 
and they're yeah. stored there. If I lose them, well, I mean, it's not the end of the world. We yeah. create new content every week. My mm-hmm. content is not like yours. I mean, um, you know, your stuff would maybe is referred back to for not not just enjoyment purposes, but there's also a, a usefulness out of it. Where you know, we create obviously more entertainment stuff, but mm-hmm. I just feel there's no need in me keeping it. I'm never going to use them again once they're up there. Um, yeah, once they're published. I mean, there are occasions when I've needed to go back into a project and. Um, reuse parts of it or tweak things and that's it's always useful to have the original project files but the the final output files as you say once they're posted um you know they're they're, they're up on the internet people have downloaded them so i'm sure i could get everything back uh, the, the the you know the final versions i could get back the project files though i, I need to just uh, but again you know with all the i mean i've done over like 400 450 yeah 450 shows something like that now and i've probably only gone back to about 10 of them <laughs> to actually do something with them. Um, so, you know, even the project stuff, I could probably just get rid of and no one would notice. <laughs> that was the thing, like the GarageBand files, they take up gigabytes. Yeah. And I was like, this just isn't necessary. Like, I mean, I, I, I record onto a Mac Mini now because I was recording onto a 128 gig MacBook Air, right, for a while. I was like, I can't keep these anymore. They have to go. I mean, and I have a Mac Mini now um, that that I use, and um, I just don't. I ha- I keep them all the GarageBand files in a folder, and I just don't empty it because I don't, I don't get round to it. But that that machine's not backed up in any way because mm. um, all I do is it's just the recording machine. And there there are people um, literally screaming um, at me right now. But you know, I just figure, as you say, I'm sure someone is keeping these. Yeah, <laughs> and if they're not well, then nobody considers them that important. So <laughs> uh, I just feel sometimes that the project files I should be keeping them for some reason. You know, the, <laughs> the historical documents, <laughs> <laughs> the ti- like a literal time machine. Yeah, but uh, yeah, the, I've got copies of them going back to you know when I first started. But um, yeah, I don't worry too much about them. I mean, the, the last six months worth of stuff, I, I you know make sure is is well backed up because yeah. I do tend to just. Uh, dip in and dip out again to uh, to pull some assets back out, but uh, yeah, it's no it's no big deal really. I guess people will know if I do that if you you keep hearing me saying the same thing over and over again every week. And I'm just ju- jumping in, clipping my audio, and pasting it back <laughs> yeah. in again. Don, yeah. it's always a, a pleasure to talk to you. Um, tell people where they where, where they can find you online. Okay, um, well the the main website is over at screencastonline.com. And if you go over there, you'll find information about the membership, you'll find information about the magazine, etc. Uh, and also the apps as well, so that's like the portal to everything. Uh, if you want to search me out on the uh, app stores, just search for SC, uh, SC Online, and that will find the applications, or SEO Tutor, rather. You can tell I'm still suffering from jet lag, can't you? Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> and the magazine is uh, Screencast Online Monthly, and that's available in Newsstand. And I'm on Twitter as Don McAllister. Excellent. And that's... Uh going to test me here it's d-o-n-m-c-a-l-l-i-s-t-e-r that sounds about right <laughs> i am on twitter i am i mike i m y k e you can find me on app.net there as well um, next week on the show we're going to be joined by mr mike Rody, who is the man behind sketchnoting so um on that show we're going to be talking about what sketchnoting is for anybody that doesn't know what it is how it can help you with your note taking and mike has just finished putting together a book called the sketchnote handbook 
Um, it's going to be a really interesting show. I, I urge you to look out for that one because I'm sure that you will all enjoy it very much. So thank you very much to Don. Thank you for joining us, sir. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for the invite. I hope you enjoyed it. Good. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, bye-bye.